Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley. Psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out connorwhiteley.net forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 217 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. And today's episode is on how to outsmart confirmation bias. And it's Friday the 7th of July 2023 as I record this. So if you've ever done cognitive psychology before, or if you've ever studied thinking and thinking biases, then everyone knows about the confirmation bias, because it has to be one of my favourite biases. And for people that don't know, the confirmation bias is that when we seek out in affirmation that supports our... Um, prior beliefs and attitudes but we don't process or we purposefully don't listen to information that goes against our beliefs and this i definitely think you can see in quite a lot of different arenas of everyday life the biggest example is politics and then there's also health benefits um like Prejudice and attitudes towards the different like races, different myths, and lots of really nasty like um, examples of the discrimination, which I guess I sort of covered that last month in the Thursday podcast episodes. But confirmation bias is everywhere, but and it can have really really damaging impacts on us, our health, and also our society. So in a today's really interesting podcast episode. We're actually going to see how do you counter it and i have to admit this definitely has a more of a health psychology perspective but i actually really enjoyed it considering i never look at health psychology on purpose <laughs> so moving on to the psychology news section we've been from the british psychological society research digest and the first one i did have to read a, a few times well the heading at least Saliva identities ease slow COVID recovery. Understanding the psychological impact that COVID has had on those that nearly lost their lives to it, as well as those surrounding them, remained an ongoing effort for psychological researchers. Though many in therapeutic roles expect to hear about COVID for the rest of their career, at the moment, little is known about how best to support this ongoing group of survivors. However, new research is beginning to bring light to this issue, revealing potential psychological interventions to aid survivors' transition through slow recovery and back to everyday life. And what's really interesting about this Psychology News article is that if you actually go onto the research on the bps's website then it talks about how that if you would help someone to form an identity that's really positive about them being a survivor because they've gained it they're still alive and that's really good and that's really positive 
and that's having that more positive sense and actually framing long COVID recovery as a positive thing can actually really help people to, I guess, to improve their recovery. And again, I've mentioned this in a different clinical psychology reflection books and on the podcast before, but I think it's that positive framing about experiences, about difficulties, about mental health conditions that is such a powerful thing that we all need to focus on. For example, traditionally in society, the there is if you have depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, you are messed up as hell. You are a monster. You're messed up. You need to be locked away because you're dangerous to society. Of course, that is absolute rubbish. But it is that sort of like traditional negative framing that does not help anyone. Seriously doesn't. But if we frame it to be more positive towards what modern clinical psychology is actually showing us and actually teaching us that if you have the depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, etc we cannot cure you first using the cognitive behavioral approach here because of course like, that's the main one what we can do is that we can give you more adaptive coping strategies just just so that you're better able to actually cope with these like life difficulties and the psychological difficulties that you're experiencing so that we can decrease your psychological distress and help to improve your life and something else that modern clinical psychology teaches us is that a person isn't messed up. They don't have psychological problems. They have mental health difficulties. And it's that sort of like more positive language because just because they have these uh, mental health difficulties doesn't make them a bad person. It's not their fault. None of this is to do with them whatsoever. Even more so when we look at the different psychological Models, for example, the diastasis stressor model, which proposes that um, that people with mental health difficulties have the uh, genetics for these mental health conditions, and then it's the stress of everyday life and from the inner environment that uh, causes that to become uh, triggered to develop the mental health condition. So we definitely need to think more about positive framing, and we just need to take lessons from this. Because positivity really can be an extremely powerful tool. So what the next one is. Oral contraceptives may pose greater risk moods for teens. Over the years, much has been said about the link between oral contraceptives and mental health. Whilst they will often be ascribed to improve mood stability, Investigations have also found that they lead to mood deterioration in some users. A lot of this sort of research, however, has the healthy user bias. Those who would discontinue the pill due to adverse mood effects are less likely to be included in the analysis. New research, which is mindful of this bias, sought to explore the link between depression and oral contraceptives in more detail, writing in Epiology and, and Psychiatric Signs, the team finds that the first two years of oral contraceptive use were associated with a higher rate of depression compared to those who never used the medication. Whilst the risk decreases after those initial years, 
contraceptive use was still associated with increased lifetime risk of the oppression. For those who begin oral, oral contraceptives as teens, however, the risk appears to be much higher and sustained. So I think this is a very difficult one because I know there's tons of religious and political issues going on at the moment to do with contraception period. Even I think that's quite disgusting. <laughs> but I do think we need to be quite careful here because everyone has the right to contraception. Everyone does. I truly believe that. But equally though, if those um, contraception pills have a negative consequence for people's mental health, then that's something that needs to be addressed. So I think we need more research, or more good research, because of this healthy user bias, because that's what a lot of the older research is actually based on. And then I think after we've got that newer research that actually accounts for all of these biases, then I think we can definitely come to some sort of firm conclusion. But for now, contraception is a must. I will never, ever argue against that. But I just think maybe we need to be wary, but we do need to wait for future research. And finally, growth mindset protects against harms of unwanted help. Most of caregivers are getting though in their child's homework to some extent. Their main attention, um, of course, is to help, but if the child hasn't actually asked for assistance, those efforts can backfire. Research shows that uninvited carer involvement in the homework can lead to lower grades in pupils of all ages. Definitely agree with that. Dean Warren Park of Sankyu University in South Korea and her colleagues wondered whether a child's beliefs about intelligence might play a role in this. In their paper in Developmental Psychology, they report work suggesting that in this case, a belief about, about that it is possible to get smarter, a growth mindset, seems to be a buffer against poor math performance linked to high levels of caregiver homework meddling. So this is something I absolutely completely agree with though, because I know parents are just trying to be helpful when they want to um, help you like, with your homework, but, it, but one, I think it's quite annoying because some children can just do it, but also though, I think when they do just help them without being asked, then you're not getting the child to learn. You're not helping them to actually make them do it for themselves and they can figure that out. So that can be extremely powerful for children. Plus, it's also connecting to something else that um, back in my first year of, of my psychology degree, there was a developmental um, psychologist and to be honest, as bad as it sounds, the only thing I actually remember her saying for one year of the entire module, what was that? If was that saying "Are you clever to a child?" is a is really like damaging because you're saying that they can only do it because they're intelligent. But if you say to them, "You worked really hard," that's a lot better to a children because you're telling them that hard work is linked to getting stuff done. So in instead of in later life. Whenever they find something challenging, they think they're not smart enough. They actually think 
that they just need to work harder to be able to achieve it. So language always isn't important about children. But I think that would just to wrap up a little like quickly, if you have children now or if you're in the future, maybe just try and let them do the homework first and then think about um, asking like do they need help instead of just um, wanting to do it because sometimes that's been my experience and sometimes that's what I've heard from my friends and it is a bit annoying. So that's enough of the psychology news section. So let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. Episode I had actually forgotten this week how much work and, and how much paperwork you actually had to produce when you started a brand new psychology degree. Because of the University of Vacant has been sending me a lot of emails about the documents that I need to show just to do a like um, ID check and a bunch of other stuff. And then I've also been getting a lot of emails about my graduation. So real world stuff has really taken over this week, but I really enjoyed it. And it's quite scary to think that in less than two weeks, or by the time that this podcast goes out, it'd be one and a half weeks until I'm officially a graduate. So I would have graduated. I really am excited. I'm a bit nervous because I have no idea how these things work work and um yeah so i am like looking forward to it i think it'll be a lot of fun i think it'll be a very surreal day so i've got that to look forward to but to actually deepen like uh, today's a personal update i actually didn't tell what you guys that a few weeks ago i think it was two weeks ago i actually went to oxford for a little um weekend away as a graduation present like with my parents and i have to say like if you ever get a chance to actually go to Oxford, definitely do it because we we were gonna go for three days, but Oxford because it's a lot smaller than I actually thought, so you can actually do it in a lot shorter time like than that. So we managed to do it in like a day and a half, like to be honest, because the half yeah yeah because the first half of the first day we were driving. The Oxford colleges are really nice. They're Ashmole Museum, like that's really good, and the Black Rose there is the UK's largest Black Rose, which is a um, bookshop. I was quite amazed. I mean, like the entire basement is just filled with books from like different time periods. It's absolutely massive. So I was really, really pleased like about that. Uh, Trinity College. Uh, well, well, that's definitely one that I would like recommend. But the only thing I will say about Oxford is that for starters, definitely, if you're going to go punting, definitely hire someone to do it for you. Punting is so hard. Like, me and my family, like, we thought, oh, yeah, like, it looks so easy because you just push the boats along the um, riverbed. It's a lot harder than that, and, Joe, it's just... It gets a bit annoying after a while, <laughs> so that was a bit interesting though. So but just a fair warning, if you ever go punting, hire someone to do it for you. It takes a lot more skill than I ever thought possible. And as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwiley at connorwiley.net. You can always leave a comment at the show notes at 
Conan Whiteley Donate forward slash podcast and you can always tune on Twitter at Sci-Fi Whiteley or leave a comment on the Facebook post at Conan Whiteley Psychology Author. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuroscience, neuropsychology and cognitive psychology. So this book I absolutely love because of cognitive psychology, even though I always say, if you ever asked me this to my face, I would say I don't like it. But to be honest, when it comes to writing this book, when it comes to actually what cognitive psychology covers, I really do enjoy it because it talks about memory, thinking, thinking biases. So it really does explore a lot more than we actually go into in today's podcast episode. And it also talks about vision, perception, attention. So so many great cognitive psychology topics which I promise you are actually a lot more interesting than they sound and you actually learn that there are so many myths about attention for example the whole idea of an attention span is actually quite silly when you actually know how attention works and memory is always a fascinating topic so if you want to really deepen your uh, understanding of the cognitive psychology and really build upon what we talked about in today's episode, definitely check it out. So that is Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuroscience, neuropsychology and cognitive psychology, available from all major ebook retailers, and you can get the payback and hardback version from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. And you can buy the ebook directly from me at payhip.com forward slash Whiteley. So whilst buying books helps us to support the creation of the, and the editing of the podcast, my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And as always a massive thank you to my wonderful patrons because your support shows that you like the show and you want it to continue. And if you wanted to become a patron and get tons of other great benefits like early access to the blog post, a closer relationship between me, the podcast creator, and you as the listener, and tons of other great benefits, then you can now become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the Psychology World Podcast. So that's enough for the personal update. Let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about how to outsmart confirmation bias. So this is a podcast episode that I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be a lot of fun and I definitely think this provides us with a lot of food for thought from a health psychology perspective. So let's dive into it. How does confirmation bias impact our health choices? One important area that the confirmation bias impacts is certainly our health behaviours. Since if a person loves loves cooking with lard and that they love to put lard on their breakfast, lunch and dinner, then this person will start to develop a confirmation bias that makes them opposed to any information about the negative impacts of always cooking with lard. Since they want to maintain their beliefs and their positive attitudes towards cooking with lard. 
For example, if this person who, who loved a cooking with lard was told to eat more vegetables, then this person would probably disregard this information because they might believe that they don't like the taste of vegetables and vegetables are the pain to cook compared to lard. And the person would check in with themselves and ask the simple question of besides themselves, who were they actually hurting by not eating more vegetables? No one. Resulting in their beliefs about cooking with lard is good and eating more vegetables is, a, is bad, perfectly intact. In addition, one aspect of the confirmation bias we mustn't overlook is the fact that humans actually don't like too many choices. Since psychology research, and also like just saying all the references for today's podcast episodes are below, and actually on the uh, blog post at connorwhitely.net forward slash podcast, consistently shows that people would rather have five choices compared to 20 or even 30 choices. This uh, research finding uh, is important to bear in mind because this uh, plays a role in our habit-forming behaviour. We all know this uh, from standing in a line at Acosta, the supermarket, or whenever we go into a restaurant. Looking at new options and deciding what to have is a nightmare because it takes energy and time. That's why people tend to have for similar meals at certain places because they know it's good and it means that they can focus their time and energy on other things. That's one of the reasons why teaching people healthy behaviours can be such a bumpy road and nightmare because that requires people to think and use up precious energy and time. One of my favourite quotes that I ever read in a psychology textbook was people are cognitive misers. In other words, people hate using more cognitive effort and energy than they have to. Therefore, this leads to research showing us that a lot of people aren't great at following healthy eating advice unless they already have a broad underlying value of maintaining their health throughout their life or perhaps a health scare. And I think I'm sort of proof of this to some extent, was as much as I hate to admit it, as a child I was clinically abased. And I honestly didn't care about my weight until I was about 16 or 17, because I had just had enough of being fat. I didn't want to go on a diet or exercise or do anything dramatic to lose the weight before then, because it just wasn't who I am. In other words, it wasn't until I was about 17 that I did have a value of being healthy and making sure that my health was protected throughout my lifespan. How health literacy impacts confirmation bias. Another factor that maintains confirmation bias for health or behaviour is health literacy. This is someone's ability to understand basic health facts, make appropriate decisions about the health and access health services. For example, this can include a person's ability to set up a regular doctor's visit, ask good health questions, relay the right information and follow recommendations. A personal example of this would be a few months ago when I went to the optometrist for my glasses and I asked the man 
and how should I protect my eye health? I really wanted to protect my eyes, all my eyes, as much as I can because I never ever want to go blind, nor do I ever want reading glasses for my Kobo. That is one of my biggest fears. I know it sounds silly, but I like to be able to see see something without my glasses. <laughs> Therefore, he told me earlier about protecting my eyes from UV light because that's a massive factor since UV light can cause a ton of eye damage. That's why I wear my sunglasses a lot more this year than previous years. Even when I've sort of said I don't typically need them. For example, when the sun's out but I'm not facing it. Or when there's little risk of me like doing that. Anyway, my point is, is to make sure that you ask questions, follow recommendations and just protect your health. Furthermore, one research finding I always support is that health literacy is a tie to a person's education level, but a person having a strong and defined belief about health is important too. And this I can see in my own family and local area, with members of my family that are educated have very good health habits and those are members of the family and my local community that only did their GCSEs you can tell they do not look after themselves whatsoever and they also don't care about their health and my two grandparents which i won't go into details here they were absolutely brilliant um, examples of that one research study looked at this by looking at uh, belief in the effectiveness of childhood vaccinations the people with higher health literacy were more likely to stick to their beliefs because the researchers thought that they were more familiar with the topic and they have thought about it a lot of times. And whilst I won't mention some of these topics, if you talk to me about certain topics in the political and the psychology sphere, then I will definitely stick to my guns because I thought about these topics a lot and I'm also very familiar with the topics. Therefore, health literacy or to be honest any sort of positive literacy can be really helpful in forming positive habits. In addition when it comes to magnetic selectogram sorry I cannot say that word studies used to investigate confirmation bias the study found that the brain lights up when confirming evidence is presented and any evidence not confirming the belief wasn't processed at all by the brain which i think is just fascinating therefore it isn't just a social or cognitive psychology question but it is a neuropsychology too since it is our beliefs and attitudes about topics that impact and shape our neural networks that reinforce our beliefs how to have smart confirmation bias Whilst the rest of the podcast episode beforehand was more of a setup for this section, I think it's flat out critical for us to understand how confirmation bias impacts our health behaviours. Therefore, now that we understand how the confirmation bias inhibits our healthy habits from being formed, we now need to see how can we get around this problem. One of the best ways to counteract the confirmation bias is through what's known as a stealth intervention. As a result of the idea behind this, 
is to make the process of turning an unhealthy habit into a healthier habit more fun, more rewarding, as well as more desirable. Not surprising, but stealth interventions don't make use of reasoning, logic or advice, because as we know from social psychology research, that just doesn't work. And also, like I mentioned in my social psychology book, if an opinion is based on emotion, then it will only be changed by emotion. In a said, a stealth intervention uses an environment that is set up to make the rewarding habit more satisfying and fun. For example, one study offered college students a course called Food and Society, exploring eating behaviours in a social, environmental and policy context. And also like just stepping like out of the blog post slightly, I can definitely say that from doing this in um, international baccalaureate geography in a sixth form, this is actually a really interesting topic, especially the food, water and energy nexus. That is actually really interesting. Anyway, the purpose of, of this course wasn't to get the college students to focus on their own habits, but more general and global food issues. Yet, the students reported an increase in their vegetable consumption and a decrease in high-fat dairy intake. So whilst this wasn't a course that focused on eating habits, it did help to have massive changes in some health behaviours. Conclusion so I will never lie to you guys, but it is so rare that we cover a health topic because health psychology just is not an area I care too much about. It's just not an area that I'm too bothered about. I know it's amazing and I admire the people that do it, but I'm just not interested in it. <laughs> but after writing up this post, I do have to say that health psychology is an important area and it can also be quite fun too. Like, I have definitely enjoyed this a podcast episode. Therefore, I never say that I'm shocked that health behaviours are hard to sell to people because people already have their own beliefs about health and it is these beliefs that they get in the way of forming healthier ones. No one is immune to this because I know I'm not. Also, what we know that confirmation bias can be a powerful force in determining our motivation towards making healthier choices. So the answer about how to outsmart confirmation bias is not easy. Yet, uh, we do know a lot about possible interventions from research. The real key to countering the confirmation bias is to broaden our health approaches and our interventions so we can focus on making them more rewarding, pleasurable and increasing people's sense of curiosity. Because once you increase those a few factors, then people get a lot more interested and a lot more magical, interesting and beneficial things can happen to people. Hopefully you're helping them to improve their health so it lasts a lifetime. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's podcast episode. I know that I did. As I said in the episode, health psychology, I'm never normally bothered by it. But when you combine it with cognitive psychology, which I know it basically always is because it's um, an applied branch of psychology, that's when it can start to get really interesting. So 
I definitely think in the future I'm going to be a lot less dismissive of it because it can be interesting. It really, really can be. So if you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the word about the podcast. And definitely check out Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuroscience, neuropsychology and cognitive psychology available in all of the usual places. And you can order the ebook directly from me at playhip.com forward slash conwhitely. And if you wanted to support the podcast on a monthly basis, then you can now become a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash psychology world podcast or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash conwhitely. So have a great day everyone and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. Please remember to like the video and subscribe to the the YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwhitely.net. So have a great day and I'll see you next time.